Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to Unscrewed, the show that knows that real liberation includes sexual liberation. I am your host, Jacqueline Friedman, and this show has been in the works in the back of my mind for a long time. I've been getting requests from several of you for a show about sex and mental health. And honestly, it's such a broad topic that it's taken me a while to get my arms around how to cover it. And this is not going to be the only episode we do about it. I think that's probably the best way I figured out, which is we're going to have several goes at it. But I think in general, all, all of us struggle around sex and mental health and some more than others. And also in this current moment in the world, whatever mental health challenges we may have, I think are probably being stretched and pushed and prodded. So I think it's really time to talk about it. And I wanted to start in a really grounded personal place. And that's why I'm starting with the brilliant uh, writer and educator, Joellen Nadi, who's written a lot about being sexual and having depression at the same time. And she said, yes. Yeah. So here she is, Joellen. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm really glad to have you. So we're going to get into it, but first we're going to do the lightning round. So the first question is, what has been making you happy this week? It, as boring as it sounds, getting my work done and going to Pilates. Oh, that sounds lovely, actually. It's, it's been really nice. Honestly, I've been having trouble getting my work done and exercising. So like, <laughs> that sounds, yeah. I that would be making me happy too. Not bored at all. Well, there are many times where like the, the idea of exercise sounds just insurmountable, but I realized that if I can do it in a way where I can just go and breathe and not have to think about work, mm. it's actually really pleasant. So yeah. Yeah. I always know like afterwards, I always feel better, like, mm -hmm. and not just physically, but like, it's so good for speaking of mental health for my mental health. Yep. And yet somehow doing it is still so hard. Yeah. For me, it always feels like a boulder, like you got to get the boulder moving. Yes. And moving is the hardest part. And then once it's going, it just, you know. Yeah. Excellent. What is some of the best sex advice you ever received? When I learned you can talk to people that you're having sex with. Yes. That was like revolutionary for me. <laughs> How did you learn that? So, uh, okay, so I had been in a sexless marriage and I got divorced and, and I decided to start a website, all of these things within the space of like a year. And I was listening to Sex Nerd Sandra's podcast yes. all the time. And I, I want to say it was Nina Hartley 
who was on and she was talking about dirty talk, which at the time I was like, ooh, dirty talk. <gasps> How you know, shocking. But she said something that just rocked my world. And she said, don't tell people what they want to hear. Tell them what they need to know. Yes. And it like tripped a switch in my head because I was like, oh, my God. It can be hot and communication and everybody can win. <laughs> yes, it's not a zero-sum game. Yeah. That's wonderful. That's great advice. Nina Hartley, yeah. What has been making you the maddest or saddest about the sexual culture lately? I, I'm like 20 years later and I'm still mad at this. The the constant assumption that, that women are lying about things. <sighs> Because every time I open like a news app or something, there's some new person being like, so-and-so speaks out in defense of their friend who did a thing. And, and Oh, did you see that thing about the Arrested Development cast that went around yesterday? I, I woke up this morning to, to Jason Bateman. And yep. I was like, Jason Bateman. <laughs> Fuck you, Jason. I mean, like, Jason Bateman. <laughs> Jason uh, Bateman. Yeah. I always had him in the good column in my brain. Although I will say he did an actual apology on Twitter. Oh, Like, well, you don't get cookies for it but like it's it is a rare thing to see in the wild like it was an actual taking of responsibility like not mealy mouthed apologies so there's that i suppose at this point i look at so many of the things that people are saying and doing and i'm thinking oh you could just get your head around the fact that people are complex and Mm. your friend who you love could also have done this bad thing and they might not have realized they were doing a bad thing but it was still a bad thing and we all need to deal with that because it hurt people and and it's yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, what is the biggest myth about sex that you used to believe but don't believe anymore? Oh, that um, if you like have too much sex, people will judge you, and and it, well, I will. Uh, that, okay, that's not a myth. There are people who I was will judge say, you. That's but, true. <laughs> but um, but that that matters. Yes. I wasted my twenties thinking, Aww. oh, but if I go out and I pick up people and I have sex, it'll it'll ruin everything. And then I realized that. It's like that quote that everybody always says is Dr. Seuss, but totally isn't. The Those who mind won't matter, those who matter won't mind. Yes. Yeah. Who is that? Whoever it was, he was like a White House advisor, and he said it in reference to seating arrangements at a White House dinner. <laughs> yeah. That's perfect. I am a little obsessive about making sure I'm crediting quotes correctly. Yeah. And I looked that up, and I was like, wow, that's so much less fun than yeah. Dr. Seuss. But also kind of more fun. It, it is in some ways more fun. That's perfect. Last lightning round question. Mm-hmm. Who is somebody who you think is doing really brave work unscrewing the sexual culture right now? Oh. Honestly, and this isn't going to, um, this is going to sound so contrived, but I've actually been thinking about you a lot lately. No, the rule on my show is you can't say me because it's I know, boring if you it's say just, me. Ah. Ah, I'm panicking. Um, one of my go-to answers for something like this, though, has been for years, Amber Rose. Oh, yeah. I think Amber Rose does not get the credit that she deserves. Every time I see her out there and just keeping her head up and, and not putting up with bullshit, I get very happy. Excellent. That's a good one. Yeah. I don't know if I've had someone say Amber Rose, and she does deserve a lot of credit. She's been very brave and and really puts herself out there and and models what it looks like to reject shaming. Yeah. And she's paid a lot of cost for it. So, yeah. yeah. And, and it's one of those things where 
sometimes I'll think, oh, this is going to be the time. This is the time people are being so harsh to her that she, and no, she always comes back and it's yeah. fabulous. So excellent. Thank you. You've survived the lightning round. <laughs> I hope it wasn't too harrowing. Yeah. yeah good. So the topic at hand is sex and depression and you are clearly the go-to person on this. How did that come to pass? Honestly, it was completely accidental because when I came into this field, I was like, you know, like I said earlier, I wasted my 20s. So I felt like I was finally going to get to be like a sexy person who talked about sex and it was all going to be, you know, no sad panda, all, you know, happy, happy sex. And I already had a history of depression and depression does not care that you've decided to be sexy and happy. It, it will come back. And so in like my first three months of blogging, I wrote about an experience with an antidepressant that made me unable to orgasm. And it was the first time I realized anybody besides my mom was reading my site because I got emails about it. Like, thank you for talking about this. No, nobody else is saying this. And I had this happen. And so that was really exciting. And then I let it sit for like a year because I didn't want to be the depression person. Yeah. And then I, I wrote another piece and, and it just kind of started picking up speed from there until eventually I decided to do some research. I, I'm always wary of using this because people are so like peer reviewed study science right now. And science is fabulous and you should believe in science. But I did an informal online survey just to see the experiences people were having and to let them talk about them. I believe that is called qualitative research. Somebody snickered at me for saying qualitative research recently and I was like, dude, well, it's fuck it's, le it's legit. That is actually a legitimate methodology. I think the important thing about the difference between qualitative and quantitative research is that you can learn different things from those different methods and it's important to know which is which, right? But yeah. that doesn't make qualitative not valid, right? Like you, you can't talk about how prevalent in the population a particular experience is with qualitative research. But you right. can learn a lot about what's happening with people, which is important to know. And you can give people, you can say, you know, this is an experience people have had. And then people who are out there who have had that experience, who are being told like, no, that doesn't happen because the, the quantitative research doesn't bear it out get to see that someone else stood up and said yes. that happened to me too and they get to feel not terribly alone and not broken and not all sad like they felt in their doctor's office when they were told that that medication doesn't make your orgasm go away you know that kind of thing and yeah. that's what I wanted to do so what did you ask about and what did you find oh my goodness I asked if I if I had to do over again I probably would have asked slightly different things but you know I was at the beginning I asked about people, if they had a history with depression, if they were diagnosed, or if they, you know, just kind of felt that they had depression, if they were treated with medications, and if so, did they experience sexual side effects? What was their interaction with their doctor like, if they experienced those side effects? And then there was a really long part in this part I would have cut about what they noticed in their sexual habits when they were coping with depression. Mm what I always say is funny is that all of the questions about sexual function kind of were skewed towards like your sex was your sexual function diminished. And so it wasn't until I started doing the interviews for this that I realized 
I had left out people whose sexual behaviors increased. Because they, they were getting treated depression. for depression and felt better. This pie chart would be fascinating because there were some of that. There were some people who, when they weren't treated and they were simply coping with depression, were seeking out sex for validation, were seeking out sex. One of my favorite ways somebody put it was, I wanted to feel things. So I did all the things I could think of that make you feel. And so I was having a lot of sex. So there's like all of these different ways in which people's sexual function increased. And it was kind of left by the wayside because the big lie about sex and depression is depressed people don't want to have sex as a rule. I mean, I think that I I wouldn't have known I believed that, but that it would have been my expectation. Yes. Yeah. I had no idea. I was like just going along with that until I started those interviews and thought, oh, my God, I never asked about any kind of increase. And so then I ended up doing about 200 interviews and people got to talk a bit about that, which was great. That's amazing. You know what it reminds me of is I asked listeners right after the 2016 election, Mm -hmm. like how it was affecting their sex lives. And some people, (laughs) me included, were like, I can't even think about sex right now. Mm -hmm. I mean, on top of the 2016 election, I also had a book due in five weeks at that point. But there was definitely no sex happening in my life um but some listeners were like i am like fucking everything that moves because it's a good feeling right and it's life affirming and like fuck these assholes yeah i realized that uh personally i thought during depressive episodes i don't want to have sex and then i realized that there was a depressive episode i went through from like 2011 into 2012 that i didn't recognize as one because during it, I had more sex and I like worked harder instead of, you know, usually I lose all ability to focus, but I did a lot of the like trying to outrun depression Mm. stuff. And I looked back and was like, oh, I always thought I dodged a depressive episode there, but no, it just looked different. So how does your sex life and your sort of sexual experience differ when you're having a depressive episode versus when you're not for me there's there's actually a couple of ways because sometimes it can turn into a like sex as a as a comfort thing but other times it can turn into a like don't touch me please go away I feel gross I hate myself and also I don't want to leave the couch right now there was a moment in doing the research that I realized like we were taking everything as a society, we take everything as like loss of libido, but there are different ways in which you stop wanting sex. If that's a thing that happens to you with depression, like sometimes it's legitimately no fuck off. I'm don't touch me. I'm not at all interested. And other times it's like, Hmm, sex could be good, but getting off the couch, taking off my pants, having Mm. to put them back on later. Jesus. Like, in the survey, we called it sexual desire without the ability to act on it or the impulse to act on it. Interesting. And Yeah. And it, it made me realize how important it is that we make conscious sexual decisions when we're coping with depression as opposed to saying like, well, yep, not into it because depression. I mean, I feel like that sometimes, not necessarily like I can't get off the couch, but like... <laughs> For me, it tends to be more anxiety or, you know, like just other mental states going on that I'm sort of stressed out and keyed up. Mm -hmm. 
sometimes I'm triggered, but it doesn't mean I'm not experiencing libido, right? Like I have have this experience of being like, oh, I really wish I could fuck you right now. And yeah, I can't get into a headspace where that feels possible for me. But like, it doesn't mean like I don't also simultaneously really want to. Yes. Yeah. So I get that a little bit. For me, actually, in the last couple of months, I, I haven't been in what I recognize as a depressive episode, but with the, the state of the world and, and, you know, this movement where we're so many of us are finally talking really openly about the basic constant attacks on our sex lives, bodies, whatever, as women, I've had this thing where, like, I, I miss sex, but also as a heterosexual women, a woman who only sleeps with men there's been a part of me that's been like fuck off i hate oh, you god we actually talked about that in the last episode i talked to karen bk chen about men and masculinity <sighs> mm-hmm. um, it was a great conversation which was mostly like karen bk chen being like we have to find places of empathy and connection with men in order to blah blah and i me being like but i'm so angry angry yes <laughs> i don't i know you're right on like a tactics like on a basic practical level but i'm I'm so angry so much of the time um (laughs) yep although interestingly one thing that they said that might be applicable here and you tell me is like the work of trying to sort of empathize with men's pain uh in a way to get them to also develop their own empathy only works when the men in question and the educator in question are both in what what Karen B. K. Chan calls a stretch mindset. Mm. And I really like that construction because it's not like all or nothing. It's not like these people are capable of doing this work and these people are not, right? Like yeah. we're all in different states at different times. And I think that's true around like our own personal sex lives as well. Have you found that even if you're in a depressed state, I'm sort of feeling too inert to have sex. Like sometimes you can acquire a stretch mindset or is, or is maybe depression, like the absolute absence of ability to have a stretch mindset. I found, and it shocked the hell out of me, but I I learned a couple of years ago when I was going through a depressive episode and with a partner who had never dealt with that before. So it was a lot of like an education process, but he was so into like, figuring out how to navigate it and what I needed and whatever that I got really comfortable with saying to him like nope not feeling sex right now and we had this space going where it always felt safe and there was never that like threat of him getting annoyed or angry and in there I was able to start doing that like well maybe maybe I'm into this like it gave me the space to I I don't want to just like echo back the language, but stretch, right? Yeah. To let go of my assumption that I was in like sex-free sad land and kind of tap into desire that was hanging out there. But, you know, sometimes gets shut down because like, seriously, you want me to have sex right now? I am barely breathing. Right. And it was kind of revolutionary for me as as a sexual person with depression to find that if I'm given the space and somebody who's willing to work with me, it creates that like safe feeling that allows me to say, okay, maybe today sex is a thing. So also what I'm hearing is like, there's 
the actual reality of being depressed and yeah. then there's on top of it dealing with the idea of being depressed and what you expect yeah. that to mean yeah and that sometimes you're able to pierce the latter even if the yeah. former is still like you know sitting on you yeah I always say I accidentally got married because I didn't I, I bought whole hog into depression makes you not want to have sex I was in a, a long-term relationship with like a really great man and I stopped wanting to have sex with him and I ignored the fact that I stopped wanting to have sex with him because I was coping with depression and so I thought well this is par for the course this is depression and so imagine my surprise two years later when my depression was fairly under control and I woke up and realized I did want to have sex. I just didn't want to have it with him. Oh. Yeah. In my, like, haste to assign all of the blame to depression, I had failed to look at our relationship at all. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, People that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. So it was sort of like your belief about what depression meant yeah. layered on top of the actual depression. Exactly. And it, it feels like maybe that's part of what's motivating you to do the work that you do, which is like destigmatizing and and interrupting the narrative of what it means when you're depressed in terms of your sex life. Is that, am I projecting? Uh, no, I, I think that's uh, absolutely right because... I think there are people who really want to look at, you know, still being a, a sexual person and having depression or, you know, even just want to take that that step back and be able to see their relationships clearly while they're coping with depression. But before now, in, you know, we've had the idea that depression equals no sex plus this really condescending thing that um, I keep running into with like, you should be happy to be alive that sounds like a terrible thing to say to literally anyone. And that's the thing. And it's like, I've never had anybody say to me openly, like, oh, come on, just be happy you're alive. But the implication is there when we tell people, like, don't worry about sex right now. Like, 
you'll get back to that. Oh, so it actually means like you should settle for your depression. Yeah, you should settle for surviving, right? So I've worked on this project with a psychotherapist out of Toronto named Stephen Biggs, who I adore. And he put it this way, and I love it, that we confiscate people's sex cards while they're coping with depression and like basically make it sound like we decide when they get them back as a society. And I get it. I've been there. There are times when the depression hits so bad that you're like, whatever, whatever medication you have to give me, whatever you have to do to get me out of this, I'll give up anything. It's fine. But so many of us cope with long term ongoing depression or, you know, recurring depression that to expect people to make that sacrifice so is part of the issue to demand better meds options and better treatment options, like, and not just accept what's available? I think that's part of it. But because everything, all the meds work differently depending on who you are, I think what we really need is better sexual education for doctors and more willingness to talk about it. Yeah. So that a patient can say... This drug is killing my sex life for whatever mm. reason. I need a different one and have that be a yeah. valid reason, even if it's otherwise helping with symptoms or whatever. Exactly. And so even somebody jumped on one of my posts the other day to say like, and, you know, never, ever take an SSRI because SSRIs will destroy your your sex life. Mm. And, I, you know, I've certainly lost my orgasm and whatnot on certain SSRIs, but also I have friends who haven't. Painting with that big, broad brush puts us in this corner of like, oh my God, what do I do? It's either I don't get treatment or I get treatment and have no sex. Yeah. And we've got to see that these things affect us all differently. And we need to be willing as both patients and doctors to talk about that and explore it. And doctors really need to take the lead. You know, one of the things I learned when I was doing research for Unscrewed, for my, for not, obviously this podcast is also called Unscrewed, but the book Unscrewed, mm-hmm. I talked to Bianca Palmisano, who works to educate healthcare professionals, doctors, nurses, all kinds of folks about sexual health and, and the importance of integrating sex into whatever their practice is. And one of the things I learned from them is like doctors, A, they're not getting any education about how to do this in their medical training. Um, And so they kind of just assume, you know, these are the good intentioned doctors, not the ones who hold like shitty beliefs, which is a different issue. But even the well-intentioned doctors will assume that if it's an issue for a patient, the patient will bring it up. And the patients tend to assume that it's important the doctor will ask about it. And then nobody talks. Mm-hmm. I mentioned earlier that I wrote an article in like 2012 about losing an or- my orgasm to antidepressants. And I was seeing this doctor at this time, and I don't remember his actual name. I always just refer to him as Marcus Welby, MD, because he was, <laughs> he was you know, yeah. your, your standard Marcus Welby type of doctor. And I remember... You know, I was a three-month-old sex blogger at that point, so I wanted to talk about sex all the time. And I remember going into his office and saying, I can't keep taking this. I'm not having orgasms anymore, and I I can't with that. And him saying to me, you know what, thank you, because people don't tell us that. And then we don't report it back, and then people, you know, end up thinking that this drug won't do that to them when it might. And that was fascinating to me. It is, but also Marcus Welby could be actively saying to his patients, has this affected your ability to have an orgasm? 
he was the 70 year old doctor in Boston. So I, I know, I, you know, I get where, but yes, we know they're going to ask us about our diet and our sleep and all that stuff on new medication. Why can't sexual function yeah. be a part of Medical professionals ask really personal questions all the time about like mm-hmm. the quality of your poop, right? Like, there's yeah. Some... Um, what I found that's interesting, though, is that it's the, the problem is also on our side as patients. The story that always stands out in my head is um, I have a Patreon happening to, like, support my book coming to life. And one of the first people who supported it, who's super into the book, they get to see like an excerpt from the book every week. And I put up one that talked about talking to doctors and this guy went off about like, I don't need some doctor poking his nose into my sex life. And I was like, well, okay, but you see, mm. in order to have this, we, we do need to be having that conversation. We need to let go of this idea of like, how dare you ask about my sex life? Because they can't help you with the thing that is affecting it. That's a medical thing. If you don't talk to them about it. Oh, so that's tough. So, for people who are listening, who are struggling with depression and its impact on their sex lives, like what's your, what, what's the advice you give? That's what the book is about, right? I'm so excited about the book. Um, Me too. The book is, is um, it's done in two parts, right? And so the first part is, uh, the book is called The Monster Under the Bed, right? And I, I say the first part introduces us to the monster. So it, we look at what's keeping people from talking, what's keeping people afraid to deal with this issue, what depression actually does to people and the different ways it can affect your sexuality and the experiences people are having with doctors. And then part two is like a guidebook to navigating your relationships and sex life while you're coping with depression. So obviously I'm going to have you back on when the book comes out. Thank you. But can you give us a teaser about what's in the second half? Yeah. The second half right now is I, I feel like maybe half the chapters it will be because all the chapters keep ending up being enormous. Oh my God, but, I know um, that problem. Yes. <laughs> so first it's about making your relationship kind of not depression proof, but you know, safe to navigate depression and, and getting on your partner's team and having a common language and being able to communicate. So it's not like I looked at all these old books about this topic and they were all like 20 years old and they all made it like the partner with depression was over on one side and their partner who doesn't have depression was on the other and they were like duking it out. And I want to give people a relationship structure where you and your partner are on one side and depression's on the other and you're figuring out how to face it together. Well, also the other partner might have their own mental health challenges. Is that ever acknowledged? Yes. And one of my favorite things that came out of the interviews and stuff was this realization that the partners that were doing the best navigating it, like that weren't running into all this resentment and all that stuff, were the partners where they both had mental health challenges because they had a frame of reference. Fascinating. So from the outside, you might assume that that's like a double challenge, but actually it can be an asset. It really can because, you know, when you're dealing with somebody who has never, at least knowingly, coped with mental illness or, or even known somebody with mental illness, they have no idea like what to do, where to go. But when you're dealing with somebody who has their own struggles, then they can have kind of a lot more empathy 
And, you know, you might have different ways that you like to face it, but I found that those couples seem to be more willing to talk about it with each other. You know how when you have depression, you need this? Well, I, I don't need that. I actually need this. And, you know, mm. that understanding that your partner's going to need some things to adjust. In addition, yeah. <laughs> chapter two talks about how to reclaim your sex life and how people frequently want the answer to like, how do we get back to sex to be like a short, quick, straight line where everything looks familiar. Yeah. But we need to kind of open our minds and accept that it might be a windy path full of new stuff that we hadn't considered, but it can still bring us to happy, healthy, functional sex. So that's also about rejecting sort of meta narratives about like moving from disease to health, you know, like is this sort of stepped process and like and that there are two states that are like diseased and health and you know, there's like a whole bunch of bullshit you have to unpack there yeah and actually the last part of the kind of sexual function section and i'm really excited about it right now is like so what if you do have these side effects from antidepressants but you don't want to stop taking your meds because they're really helping you and so I have a whole set of like resources and like workaround stuff and kind of ways to make it possible to still have that, even if you are experiencing the sexual side effects. I am a huge fan of giant wand massager style vibrators. Holla because, at my Hitachi. Right? And I'm literally is, sitting like here. <laughs> this is how close <laughs> I am to my Hitachi. Can I you hear that? <laughs> Nice. I, I'm sitting in front of a bookcase where a um, Lawand wand is being used in a acrylic stand as a bookend. <laughs> That's what life is like in my house. So giant wand style massagers are something I recommend because for a lot of people, you know, there's that anorgasmia, that loss of orgasm or difficulty orgasming or something that's not talked about a ton, but genital numbness. Oh. It's just less like it's not like pins and needles genitals or like that you can't feel they're there, but it's almost like suddenly nothing you've done before works, right? You just need a bunch more stimulation than you, you used to. Yeah, a bunch more stimulation. And these things are big and they're powerful and they cover a lot of genital real estate and it can help get at things you maybe you can kinda like grind into them too. Like you can mm-hmm. get real leverage with the with the wand. Yeah. Exactly. And you know, for folks with penises one of the side effects we talk about a lot is erectile dysfunction. And I've found a couple of, well, A, I found the book, uh, Let Me Count the Ways, which is an amazing kind of look at sex without penetration, basically letting go of the idea that your sex life has to require a hard penis that penetrates something Mm -hmm. and finding sexual pleasure otherwise. And then I actually found a couple of toys that have been known to bring about orgasm without an erection. Oh, fascinating. Yes. One is a a wand attachment, and I'm sure you've seen it. It's that one, it's like clear and and rubbery, and it looks like a tube that sits on top of a wand. Yeah. One of the versions is called the hummingbird, I think. And that can bring about an orgasm without an erection. Additionally, there's a company called Hot Octopus, and they make a, a thing that it's a different kind of vibration that it delivers. So it's like an oscillation. Oh, also, I just want to say hot octopus a bunch of times. Hot octopus. Hot yeah. octopus. It's hot octopus That's a, a surprisingly sexy phrase. Yeah. 
And I wouldn't necessarily have expected it to be so. I don't really have a thing for octopi. <laughs> but like hot octopus, I'm hot like octopus. really feeling it. Sorry. Yeah. A hot octopus pulse is like a big recommendation I make to people who are coping with erectile dysfunction because one of their big selling points is use this on a flaccid penis. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Well, and the But the other thing is, and I know this is dicey and controversial, but okay. also... Like, good sex doesn't always have to involve everybody orgasming. Like, oh, preach. <laughs> like, preach. <laughs> I, and I, 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 I want to be delicate with this because I want people, you know, like when you say you lost your orgasm on this medication and you demanded a different treatment that wouldn't do that, like, yeah. I'm for that. Like, we have the right to our orgasms and I'm also very invested in closing the orgasm gap for straight women and like you know all of that stuff but at the same time i think that the conversation can also get super fixated on orgasm as being the only metric of sexual pleasure and sexual connection yes i agree and so i did a panel a couple years ago and one of the the people on the panel was talking about how like her orgasms were like the beginning and the end of the universe and they could see into space and 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 all of these amazing things and I jumped in and I said you know what for me what I recognize as my orgasms are more like a really small awkward surprise party where like one guy <laughs> with a little mylar balloon on a stick pops up <laughs> and so um, one of the biggest <laughs> things I had to get partners to understand was that doing the whole like did did you come have you had no like that's a lot of pressure on me and I don't always care and so a lot of what I talk about in that second half of the book is adjusting the way we look at sex yeah finding the experiences that feed us and make us feel (sighs) sensual happy whatever it is we we need from sex without being focused on like there's an erection there and then somebody's going to come and then, you know, sex is a lot of things to a lot of people and recognizing what it is to you versus what you think it's supposed to be. Yeah. And like this narrative that we have from watching all of the lowest common denominator free porn on the tube sites, right? (laughs) Which is like this one narrative about what sex is and who it's with and for and how it looks and how it begins and ends and all of that stuff, which is a valid experience, right? Like Mm -hmm. some people have that narrative in a lot of their sex life, but like it's only one of a million kinds of ways of experiencing sex. I often advise people to explore things they hadn't thought of before. So for me, I'd like I recommend impact play and e-stim and fire play. And this is usually a part in my conference sessions where I start to lose some people. But <laughs> impact play is like spanking. It's, yeah. And flogging yeah, like and those sorts of things. Okay. And that type of thing. For me, the, the things like the impact and the East Dim and the fire, it, it was all ways to play with my partner that brought about sensation and it was fun and it was sexy and there was a connection, but it wasn't like, now we're going to do all the boning for hours. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, I'm so glad you're out there doing this work and I know that people are going to be really grateful to hear from you about it. I love this. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I hope you will come back when the book is out. Absolutely. I would love to. In the meantime, where can people follow you online? 
My website is uh, redheadbedhead.com. And on social media, basically all of the social medias, I am Joellen Naughty, J-O-E-L-L-E-N-N-O-T-T-E. Excellent. And you can find me on the socials on Twitter at Jacqueline F, J-A-C-L-Y-N-F as in Friedman, on Instagram at Jacqueline Fable. You can also follow all of my work and find out how to bring me to your community at JacquelineFriedman.com. Friedman is F-R-I-E-D-M-A-N.com. Uh, get in touch let me know what you think of the show what other topics you want me to discuss this show came about this particular episode because I heard from y'all that you wanted me to talk about it so I love doing that you can hit me up at unscrewed at JacquelineFriedman.com you can of course find unscrewed wherever you find fine podcasts Acast, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher. Make sure you're subscribed. We only have a few more episodes left until we go on summer hiatus and I don't want you to miss out when we come back. And also while you're in there, of course, give us five stars. Give us a short little review. It makes my heart sing and it also really does help other folks find the show. Unscrewed is produced and edited by yours truly, Jacqueline Friedman. Our in and out music is by The Pink Tiles and our cover art is by Nicole Dodonna and was developed in collaboration with the establishment who also developed the sound cues. Until next week, I'm wishing you safe and happy sex lives. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.